I'll invite you to turn your Bibles to uh, John chapter 14. We've been teaching a series on the Holy Spirit for the last few weeks, and we want to continue along that line. John chapter 14, Jesus, on the, the last night he was with his disciples, just before he went to the cross, made some uh, um, interesting statements, uh, critical statements, I believe. And, uh, and John, who was one of the, uh, the ones there at the, at the uh, Last Supper, recorded them for us. And he gives us a little different uh, perspective, a little different take on uh, the Last Supper than any of the other gospel writers. Jesus said, beginning in John chapter 14 and verse 16, Jesus says, And I will pray the Father, and he will give you another comforter, that he may abide with you for a few weeks. That he may abide with you for the rest of your lives. Now, John, the reason this is important for you to say is because you're going to be the last of the apostles living, so you'll be the last one to have him. No, he'll abide with you forever. See, folks, the idea that, uh, that much of the church world has, uh, has propagated, that, uh, that the work of the Holy Spirit has changed, is totally contrary to anything that the Bible says. Jesus specifically said that I'll give you another comforter. He'll abide with you forever. So the things he's going to tell us about this comforter and the work of the comforter. We've made uh, mention of the fact that uh, the Amplified brings out that there are seven different meanings to this word comforter. It means helper. It means advocate. It means intercessor. It means strengthener. It means standby. Um, and I left out some others as well. But there are, uh, there are seven different meanings for this Greek word paraclete that's translated comforter. So he's saying the work of this comforter, this helper, will be an eternal work. He'll abide with you forever. He'll abide with you forever. Folks, I, I've, uh, well, let me just say it this way. You better get used to the Holy Ghost living inside of you because he's still going to be there when you get to heaven. You don't lose the Holy Spirit when you get to heaven. It's not like the Holy Spirit finally says, okay, my work is done. Now I can take a break. The Holy Spirit will be in you forever. The Holy Spirit will be with you forever. Now, obviously, things will be different in heaven than they are here. There's a different work for the Holy Spirit to accomplish here on the earth to drawing people to the Lord Jesus Christ. Everybody in heaven will already be drawn to him. So that part will be different. But the Holy Spirit will still live with you and abide with you forever. I suggest you make friends with him. Now, that may sound silly in that context, but how many Christians do you know that have no clue about the Holy Spirit? Even Spirit-filled Christians have no clue about the greater one on the inside of them. Well, he's going to abide with you forever. I'll pray the Father and he'll give you another comforter that he may abide with you forever. Even the Spirit of truth. I love the fact that that Jesus called him. First thing he called him after he said he'd be the comforter or the helper, he said he'd be the Spirit of truth. The Spirit of truth. Folks, truth is always simple. I get amused in, in our modern day with uh, political events and issues and stuff like that. And, and people say, well, these are complicated issues. Folks, the truth is always simple. Now, the fix for a problem may be complicated, but the truth is always simple. And the fix is always acting on the truth. It amazes me even in the church circles how that, uh, that some people will will uh, explain things in, in a way that, after, that, that sounds real religious, may sound super spiritual or whatever, but then you step back and you think, what did they say? I, I'm, I'm shocked sometimes 
I wish I could say I'm, I'm amused, but it doesn't strike me as funny at all. But a lot of times ministries and ministers will talk about the things of God and they'll string together these phrases that don't mean a thing. When you think about it, they don't mean anything. They sound great. They sound like they know something you don't know. But then after the fact, it's like, well, wait a minute. What is that about? That's not how the Holy Ghost does. I remember one time that a person said that, said that God told him about his ministry. He said that God told him that, my, that nobody will understand your ministry. Well, that's a pretty wide area to travel in, isn't it? That's not what the spirit of truth will do. Even the spirit of truth. Even the spirit of truth. The spirit of truth. Even the spirit of truth. Now, hold your finger right here. We're going to come back to this. Finish this verse. But look over with me to John chapter 17. John chapter 17 is a little bit later in the same night when Jesus is praying. We assume that he's praying in the garden of Gethsemane. But it, well, I'm sorry, that's not accurate. He's not yet praying in the Garden of Gethsemane. It's prior to his prayer in the Garden of Gethsemane. He's praying with the disciples before he leaves to go to the Garden of Gethsemane. And he prays. John gives us a record by the Holy Ghost of his prayer. The other guys were there. They heard this. And notice what Jesus said in John chapter 17 in verse 17. He said, sanctify them through thy truth, thy word, thy... Uh, well, I'm messing it up. Let me read it. Sanctify them through thy truth... Thy word is truth. Now, folks, this is exactly the same word that's used over in John chapter 14 and verse 16. So let me ask you a question. Is Jesus talking about truth to mean one thing in John chapter 14 and a different thing in John chapter 17? If Jesus said the word is truth and the truth is always true and the truth truth never changes, then when he says over in John chapter 14, I'll give you another comforter, that he may abide with you forever. Verse 17, even the spirit of the truth. We could substitute those words and say even the spirit of the word. Because the word of God is the truth. Now what does that mean? That means the word of God will never contradict what the Holy Spirit says. And the Holy Spirit will never contradict what the word of God says. They always have to line up. I've had people tell me that, the, that God told them to do things that are absolutely unscriptural. That contradict and violate scripture. Well, somebody's wrong here. Either the word of God is wrong or the Holy Spirit or what the person thought was the Holy Spirit really wasn't the spirit of God telling them. He's the spirit of the truth, meaning he's the spirit of the word. Now, what does that mean? Well, remember over in Hebrews chapter 4 and verse 12. Paul is writing to the church and he said, the word of God is quick and powerful. Another translation says full of life and power. So the word is the power of God. Um, Romans chapter 1 verse 16 Paul said I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ for it the gospel which is the word of God the gospel or the word of God is the power of God unto salvation to rescue to deliver to heal to save and to set free so if he's the spirit of truth he's the spirit of the power of God if he's the spirit of truth he's the spirit of deliverance if he's the spirit of truth or the spirit of the word then he is the power of God in action And notice what he says. He said, even the spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive. Whom the world cannot receive. Now realize that Jesus is talking about a work of the Holy Ghost. He's not talking about salvation. See, salvation is God's gift to the world. The Holy Ghost is not God's gift to the world. The Holy Ghost is God's gift to his people, his children. 
Even the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it seeth him not, neither knoweth him. Well, wouldn't somebody save knowing? Sure, and they will. See, he's not talking about salvation. He's not talking about the gift of salvation or the, 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 uh, himself, Jesus, the gift of God to the world. He's talking about the Holy Ghost that will come on them because they are believers, because they do believe in Jesus. Even the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it seeth him not, neither knoweth him. But you know him, for he dwells with you and shall be in you. Turn with me over to chapter 16. He's talking about the spirit of truth again in verse 13. He said, Howbeit when he, the spirit of truth, has come, here's the spirit of the word, he will guide you unto all truth. Well, again, if the truth is the word of God, then he'll guide you into the word. He'll guide you into the word of God. He shall guide you into the word of God. But if the word of God is the power of God unto salvation, which means to rescue, to deliver, to make whole, to heal. Then he's going to guide you into healing. He's going to guide you into deliverance. He's going to guide you into the blessings of God. Now somebody could stop right there and say, well, yeah, Pastor Mike, that sounds great. And we see that's what the word says. But if he's going to guide me into deliverance, then why am I still oppressed? If he's going to guide me into victory, then why am I still un, under, the, uh, under the, the problem here? How come I don't have any victory in my life? Folks, that's what I want to talk to you about this morning. Jesus said the Holy Spirit would guide you into all truth, guide you into the blessings of God, guide you into the victory that belongs to us because Jesus has been to the cross and raised from the dead. The work is complete. That means, therefore, there is no reason, no area whatsoever that you and I should be underneath the bondage of the enemy. Now don't get me wrong. You may be just like I am. You may be standing in faith for something. Having done all to stand, stand therefore. Just because somebody, you or somebody else doesn't see complete victory in your life. Doesn't mean you haven't already received it by faith and taken hold of it. But absent that, there is no reason whatsoever why victory should not be manifest in our lives in every area. Howbeit when he, the spirit of truth, has come, he will guide you into all truth. For he shall not speak of himself, but whatsoever he shall hear, that shall he speak. And he will show you things to come. Notice a part of God's plan for the Holy Ghost, a part of the work of the Holy Ghost, to guide you into the victory that Jesus has provided for you, guiding you into the truth of the word of God, Notice a part of that is showing you things to come. Revelation. Revelation. Now, if we stopped right here and we could ask some real uh, important and poignant questions, in my opinion. And that is, for a lot of Christians, most Christians, I would venture to say, have never received that guidance where the Holy Ghost has shown them things to come. Or if they did, they didn't recognize it, didn't take advantage of it, or whatever the case might be. Well, then the question has to be asked, why not? Could it be that people are not relying on the work of the Holy Ghost, and therefore the Holy Ghost doesn't have freedom to work in their lives? Howbeit, when he, the Spirit of truth, has come, he will guide you into all truth. For he shall not speak of himself, but whatsoever he shall hear, that shall he speak, and he will show you things to come. He shall glorify me, for he shall receive of mine, and shall show it unto you. 
show it unto you. Notice the Holy Spirit. The work of the Holy Spirit is to show it unto you. Now notice Paul, uh, um, what's his name? Jesus. Yeah, Jesus. Jesus is not talking here to the disciples, the 11. Judas has already gone out of the room. Jesus is not talking to the 11 saying, now he'll show you things to come so that you can minister to other people. Certainly that could be the case, but he's not talking about that exclusively. He's talking about showing you things to come. He's talking about bringing revelation to you, not just so that you can help somebody else with it, but so that God's victory can be realized in your life too. See, I think one of the things that was really on my heart about this series, the reason that we started this series and went the way that we did, is because it's so easy to talk about the power of God and look over at 1 Corinthians chapter 12 and and speak about the list of nine manifestations of the Spirit and and stuff like that. It's so easy to talk about the power of God, yet it seems to me, you, you judge this for yourself, but it seems to me that when we talk about the Holy Spirit just in manifestations and power, people get to thinking that that's just the Holy Spirit working through some in the church to benefit others. And as a result, most people take the position that, well, he's probably not going to use me in any of those things ever or infrequently, if ever at all. And so it's good to know that he's powerful and that he'll do things to help other people. But how does that benefit me? What does that really matter to me? It's probably never going to work through me like that. And as a result, most Christians, in my opinion, like I said, you judge this for yourself, but most Christians fail to recognize and access the power of the Holy Ghost within them. God did not give the Holy Ghost and make him the power source for the church, for the majority of the church people, the majority of his children, to be without power. Thank God for the power of the Holy Ghost that flows through us to help other people. To heal the sick and and set other people free. But what about me? Oh, Pastor Mike, that's just selfish thinking. Really? Is it selfish thinking for me to want to be saved and miss miss hell and go to heaven? That's not selfish at all. Now, don't get me wrong. I have a great self-interest. There's nothing selfish about that. Why is it selfish for me to want to walk in health when Jesus paid for it? Why is it selfish for me to want to walk in abundance when Jesus paid for that too? Why is it selfish for me or any other Christian to want to take advantage of anything and everything that Jesus paid for? And in fact, how am I going to be an effective witness to minister to other people, whether it's healing or blessings or tell them about prosperity or whatever the case is, deliverance in any and every area? How am I going to be effective in doing that if I'm not walking into at least some measure of it myself so that people can see it? I think the devil has cornered the the word selfish and misdefined the word for most Christians. Notice he said in verse 14, notice also along with verse 13, he shall show you things to come. He, the spirit of God, the spirit of truth shall glorify me for he shall receive of mine and shall show it unto you. Now we also, we saw first thing that he'll guide you into all truth. So one of the first places the Holy Ghost will guide you is into the reality of the word. Turn with me over to Ephesians chapter 1. Ephesians chapter 1. Paul prays for the church. And it's interesting that a guy that had more visions of Jesus than anybody that we have record of. The visions of Jesus that brought us the revelation of who we are in Christ. 
the foundation of the whole church, basically, at least the, the teaching of the church, not the foundation of salvation. Jesus did that, but the foundation of who we are in Christ and, and how to appropriate it. Notice what Paul prayed for the church. Ephesians chapter 1. Let's start reading in verse 16. Paul said, I cease not to give thanks for you, making mention of you in my prayers. So that means he's praying this a lot, right? Okay, what's your prayer, Paul? That the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give unto you the spirit of wisdom and revelation and the knowledge of him. Now, let me ask you a question. Are these people saved? Yeah. They're saved and filled with the Holy Ghost. They speak with other tongues. Notice what Paul is praying, therefore, for Christians, spirit-filled Christians, that the eyes of their understanding would be enlightened. That the eyes of their understanding would be enlightened. What does that mean? That means that their eyes would be open to something. Notice verse, uh, let me get the verse numbers here. Verse 17, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give unto you the spirit of wisdom. The spirit of wisdom. Did you know spirit, that wisdom is a spirit? If wisdom is a spirit, what kind of spirit is it? It is the spirit of God. In other words, there's an element of the work of the Holy Spirit that's involved with and connected to wisdom. Now, don't get me wrong. You can be filled with the Holy Spirit and not have an ounce of wisdom. But it's not because the Holy Ghost isn't there to give you the wisdom. It's because a person fails to to take advantage of it. Remember in Acts chapter, um, what is it, Acts chapter 6, I believe it is, where it says that uh, they chose the seven deacons. The qualifications were men of honest report, good report, honest people. Number one, secondly, full of the Holy Ghost, third, and wisdom. Now, the fact that they identified full of the Holy Ghost and wisdom means you can be full of the Holy Ghost without wisdom. We've all known those. In my opinion, those charismatics have brought much damage to the, to the work of God, the work of the Holy Ghost in the church. Because without wisdom, they've done a lot of things saying God was behind it, God made them do it, and then it just looked foolish. And people on the outside looked at it and said, well, I don't want any part of that. If that's what the Holy Ghost makes you to be, I don't think I want any part of it. I was in that place. There was a charismatic church in my hometown that was nuts. And anytime people would talk about being filled with the Holy Spirit, as people talk about speaking in tongues, that's the first impression that anybody or first thought that anybody around us had. And we all looked at each other and said, well, who in the world would want that? Notice he's praying that God would give unto them, believers, the spirit of wisdom and revelation. The word revelation means disclosure. In other words, that the spirit of wisdom would disclose the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit, the spirit of wisdom would disclose certain things. Now, why would Christians not already have full disclosure? You know as well as I do that Paul wrote to the church, uh, 2 Corinthians 4, 4, I believe it is, where he said, the God of this world, meaning the devil, has blinded people's minds, lest they should receive the glorious light of the gospel. In other words, the only reason that somebody is unsaved, well, maybe not the only reason, the majority reason that somebody would be unsaved in this world is because they don't see. Who in their right mind is going to pick, with their eyes wide open, is going to pick hell over heaven? 
Who in this world, with their eyes open, in their right mind, would choose to serve the devil who kills, steals, and destroys instead of God whose mercy and goodness is abundant? Who's going to do that? Well, why are so many people unsaved? Because they're blinded to the truth. Their minds are blinded to the truth. They don't see. That's why we go out and preach the gospel. That's why it's so necessary to preach the gospel to every creature. Because it's the preaching of the gospel that God uses to open people's eyes. To break the blinders that are on their eyes to the path that they're on so that they receive and accept the knowledge of the truth. But notice that unsaved people are not the only people blinded to the truth. If Paul was by the Holy Ghost giving us information that all it takes is to be saved and filled with the Holy Spirit and all of a sudden you see and know everything you need to see and know, then why is Paul praying for Spirit-filled Christians to have the Spirit of wisdom and revelation and the knowledge of God? The problem is, once we get our eyes opened to the truth of Jesus and come into the family of God, once we get our eyes open to the blessing of the, being baptized or filled with the Holy Spirit with the evidence of speaking in other tongues, we've still got a lot of the world's blinders to knock off of our eyes. And Paul is praying that that's exactly what would take place in the church. That God would give unto them the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him. To what end? That their eyes would be opened. Their spiritual eyes would be opened. To what? So that they would know what is the hope of his calling. In other words, spiritual eyes open to what God has planned for you in your life. You know this, folks. Any person that had their eyes open, if, you could just, if we could just pray a prayer, wouldn't it be great if we could do this? If we could just pray a prayer and that for one second, every person on the face of the earth, spiritual eyes would be open so that they could instantly see, just for a glimpse See what God's great plan is for their life. Do you know how many people would turn, again, turn away from the devil, serving the devil? Do you know how, what a flood of revival that would bring in and evangelism that would bring in? People would realize, wait a minute. What I was after isn't nearly as good as what God just showed me. I want that. Yet I would submit to you that many Christians, born again, spirit-filled Christians, never have gotten that glimpse. And as a result, they're plodding their way through life, doing the best they can, trying to make the most out of whatever they've got, yet they yet have never seen how great God's plan is for them. Now, why is that? Is God holding back? Well, if God's not holding back, then what's the problem? We're going to come back to this, but turn with me over to 2 Timothy chapter 2. I don't have any notes for this this morning, folks. Of course, I never have any notes. That's not really an unusual thing. But what I mean by that is, I really don't know where I'm going with this. I know where the Lord had for me to start. And I'm just trusting him for the finish. Notice what Paul wrote to Timothy. Paul wrote to Timothy... Let's start in chapter 2, 2 Timothy chapter 2. Let's start in verse, uh, oh, maybe verse 24. Paul's writing to Timothy, who is a minister. In other words, the servant of God that he's referring to. He said, and the servant of the Lord must not strive, but be gentle unto all men, apt to teach and patient. In meekness, instructing. Notice the instruction Paul gives to Timothy as a minister. Literally, Timothy is the pastor of the church at Ephesus. 
He says, in meekness, instructing those that oppose themselves. Bless you. In meekness, instructing those that oppose themselves. Notice what most of the church's problem is. They're working against themselves. Instructing those that oppose themselves. If God peradventure will give them repentance to the acknowledging of the truth. This word repentance is uh, translated in other translations opportunity. If peradventure God will give them the opportunity. To acknowledge the truth. What would be the opportunity to acknowledge the truth? Your spiritual eyes being opened. Who is going to oppose themselves willingly? My family and I have started. We found this TV show. It's a reality TV show. And uh, we've started watching it a lot. I really enjoy it. It's about a guy um, that um, a millionaire guy, billionaire. I don't know what he is. Anyway, he's got a lot of money. He's an investor. And he, um, uh, he comes across these businesses that are failing. And, uh, and he goes in. And he takes a look at the business and the, the whole reality show is about him investing his own money to turn this thing around. And what's amazing to me, and, I, and I've, I've been very familiar with this concept and this pattern spiritually. But it's an amazing thing to me how so many people are working against themselves financially in this business model. He'll go in and he'll say, all right, I see what the business is. He'll spend a couple of days there, you know, getting to know the operations and so forth. And then he'll come up and he'll say, all right, I'm going to invest so much of my money. And it'll, you know, I'll be a 50-50 partner with you or different deals and so forth. And so often people will stand there and say, well, no, I'm not going to do that at all. I'm not going to give up control of my company. They want 100% of something that's going down the tubes. And, he, and, and almost in every case, there's a problem with the business model, the business practice or whatever, the, you know, the, the, the way that they're doing business. So he comes in and he says, all right, now if we make the deal, I'm in charge. And for one week at least, for one week, I'm in charge to turn things around. Well, he finally gets people to agree with that. And then he starts changing everything around and people just kick and scream about it. And it's like, wait a minute, this guy has made it work. He is the millionaire you want to be. And he's showing you how to do it. And people will kick about the stupidest things. Well, no, I don't want to change the name on it. My name is, you know, I've got a good name. I don't want to lose my name on the business. That's going down the tubes. People have so many stupid ideas, wrong-headed ideas about holding on to something that's bringing about their demise. Now, I, I, there's such a great spiritual application here. Because it's exactly what Christians do. And like I said, it's not a surprise to me at all that Christians do it. I've seen that for 30 years in the ministry. For 30 years, I've watched people do exactly the opposite of what the Bible tells them to do. They'll reject the advice or the counsel that they seek to get. And they oppose themselves. But it's an amazing thing to me how people do it in business. I mean, they're losing money hand over fist, month after month after month, and refuse to change and do what's necessary to be successful. And in many cases, this guy just has to walk away from them. Say, well, okay, if you're not going to do what it takes to be, to be a success, then I can't help you. Don't want to be involved in this. 
And I'm thinking to myself, you're letting your success walk out the door. And folks, people let spiritual success walk out the door every day of their lives. In meekness, instructing those that oppose themselves, if God peradventure will give them repentance or the opportunity to the acknowledging of the truth, and that they, notice the word is they, God doesn't recover you, they may recover themselves out of the snare of the devil who are taken captive by him at his will. Most other translations say taken captive by the devil to do his will. In other words, the things that we oppose ourselves in, whether we know it or not, we're doing the will of the devil rather than the will of God. Back to Ephesians chapter 1. Paul said, I seek not to give thanks for you, making mention of you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give unto you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him. Notice what it's going to take to walk in the fullness of what God has for you, the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him. The spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him. There's a verse in Proverbs, I don't know where it is, but there's a verse in Proverbs that says this, there is no wisdom or counsel against the Lord. And what that means very simply is this, no matter what excuse you come up with for not doing what the Bible says, it's junk. How many times have we seen, maybe ourselves, maybe our loved ones, make excuse after excuse after excuse for why they're not doing what they know they ought to do? But they've got good reasons And so many times people take positions against the Holy Ghost. They take positions against what the Bible says to do in speaking in tongues and edifying ourselves and things like that because they are operating in what they think is wisdom. There is no wisdom against the Lord. There is no counsel. There is no excuse. There is no reason. There is nothing that you or anybody else can or will ever come up with that's legitimate Because the word of God is always true. That's why the Holy Ghost will always guide you into the word of God. Because it's always true. I cease not to give thanks for you, making mention of you in my prayers. That the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give unto you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him. The eyes of your understanding. Another translation says the eyes of your spirit. Would be enlightened. That you may know what is the hope of his calling. God has a plan for you. You need to know what that is. Secondly, that you would know what are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints. What belongs to us because we're in Christ Jesus. Thirdly, verse 19, and that we would know what is the exceeding greatness of his power to us who believe. Paul is praying that we would know three things. God's plan for our life, what belongs to us because we're in Christ, and the power of God that's already residing in you. Now, what is that power of God? It's the Holy Spirit. It's the Holy Spirit, the spirit of truth, the spirit of reality. Now, folks, Paul gives us a lot of information about the benefits of this greater one on the inside of us. Paul said, for example, and well, why don't you turn with me over there? Turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 14. We've looked at these scriptures before, but I think they'll have a greater impact if we look at them rather than just refer to them. First Corinthians chapter 14, we know 
that when this uh, uh, information Jesus told the disciples at the Last Supper, we know that it was fulfilled when the Holy Ghost was poured out on the day of Pentecost. They're already saved. John chapter 20 says that Jesus appeared to them after his resurrection, breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Ghost, and their lives changed. Now they're not behind closed doors anymore. They're not huddled up for fear of the Jews. They're openly in the temple worshiping and praising God. They're full of joy. These are changes that occur when somebody makes Jesus the Lord of their lives. But then Jesus says to them, wait in Jerusalem. Tarry ye in Jerusalem until you be endued with power from on high. In other words, he says, you're born again. You're in Christ. You're in me. You're part of the family of God. But now you need power. Well, I I never have understood people's argument that we don't need that power anymore. And again, they'll make arguments. They'll try to uh, make... uh, take positions that the holy ghost is not available for us anymore it's, the holy spirit isn't doesn't fill people the way that he used to and did in the book of acts folks that's not what the bible says and there is no wisdom or counsel against god that's just wrong and then we know that when the holy ghost was poured out they began to speak with other tongues in other words the evidence of the power was tongues tongues is not the power but it's the evidence of the power It's the evidence of the power. Now, the first thing that happens in Acts chapter 2 is Peter stands up and says, Look, everybody here, the people that you're seeing acting this strange way that they're acting, they're not drunk like some of you are saying that they're drunk. And and the reason he gives is it's only the third hour of the day. It's only the 9 o'clock in the morning. Too early to get drunk. Too early for anything like that to happen. That's not what's going on. And then Peter says, this is that which was spoken by the prophet Joel. How in the world does Peter know about Joel? One of the first things that happens after Peter is filled with the Holy Spirit is the Holy Ghost gives him information about the truth of the word. He opens his eyes to here's what this means and then he preaches it. And 3,000 people get saved. In other words, the first thing that we see after the evidence of the power of the Holy Spirit speaking in other tongues is the Holy Spirit guides Peter into the truth that he would not know otherwise. We have no record whatsoever that Jesus told them before between his resurrection and the day of Pentecost. Here's what's going to happen. and It's going to be about the fulfillment of Joel's prophecy. We would have no reason to think so whatsoever. Does Peter even know what Joel prophesied? But the first thing that he says, the first thing that he preaches is revelation. This is that which was spoken by the prophet Joel. In other words, the Holy Spirit will bring to your understanding things that you didn't know on your own. Jesus never said a word in his earthly ministry about Joel. Not a word. We have no record that he would have said anything about Joel's prophecy one way or the other. Not only that, but Peter did not know What to expect when Jesus said, wait until you receive power from on high. He said, you'll be baptized in the Holy Ghost not many days hence. But what does that mean? Did he know anything about tongues? Were they expecting the tongues? Jesus didn't say anything to them about it. Were they expecting revelation according to the Old Testament prophecies? Jesus didn't say anything to them about that either. What would they expect when Jesus said, Wait in Jerusalem until you receive the Holy Spirit. You'll be endued with power from on high. What is that going to look like? What is it going to feel like? What's it going to result in? What is it going to be? They didn't know. 
Jesus didn't, at least the Holy Spirit didn't see fit to tell us that Jesus told them. And in my opinion, if Jesus told them and the Holy Ghost didn't give us record, that's not playing fair. That's being dishonest because then we have to assume things that are not true. So now the Holy Spirit is guiding them into all truth. I don't have any doubt whatsoever, but that the other 10 of the disciples are hearing Peter preach. This is that which was spoken by the prophet Joel. And they're thinking, it is? Wow. Cool. They wouldn't have known. Peter only knew because the Holy Spirit inspired him so that he could bring other people in with him. So the tongues is the evidence of the power. It's not the power itself. But it's the evidence of the power. And every time you see the power displayed, it comes as a result of the evidence of the infilling of the Holy Spirit. Now, Paul seemed to recognize this. He seemed to find some of this out on his own. He was not in Jerusalem. He was not saved on the day of Pentecost. He was not one of the original 12. So how is he going to find out? He finds out through revelation, Jesus appearing to him and teaching him the truth. We know that he's filled with the Holy Ghost. Acts chapter 9 tells us about how he meets Jesus on the road to Damascus. And then... uh, uh, Ananias goes and lays hands on him to receive his sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Paul's told us himself that he spoke with other tongues. In fact, he says in the same 14th chapter of 1 Corinthians, verse 18, I believe it is, he said, I thank my God I speak with tongues more than you all. Now, let me ask you a question. Why would Paul thank God for that unless it had some benefit? As, it, as some people might think, Paul apparently would have said, if it goes according to their understanding, Paul would have said, well, you know, this tongue stuff, it it causes a lot of problems and people don't understand. But, you know, it's just part of what you have to take to get the Holy Spirit. But that's not what he said. He said, I thank my God I speak with tongues more than all of you. Isn't it interesting that the guy that had the most revelation of anybody we have record of in the New Testament is the guy that did more talking in tongues than anybody we have record of? Now, I'm sure that's just coincidental. I'm sure there's no connection whatsoever to putting yourself in the presence of the one that reveals things to you. But folks, please understand, you're living by Paul's revelation. Your victory is according to Paul's revelation. And Paul seemed to understand the value of speaking in tongues relative to the power of God or the revelation of God in operation. 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verse 2. Paul said, For he that speaketh in an unknown tongue speaketh not unto men, but unto God, for no man understandeth him. Howbeit in the Spirit he speaketh mysteries. Notice he's saying, He that speaks in an unknown tongue, number one, speaks to God. Is there any value in speaking to God? Well, God seems to think so. He tells you to pray all the time. Isn't prayer speaking to God? Isn't that the, the basic definition of God or basic definition of prayer is communication with God? So Paul said, when you speak in an unknown tongue, you're speaking unto God. There has to be value in that. Secondly, he said that no man understands or hears him, howbeit in the spirit. Speaking in tongues is speaking in the spirit. Is there any value to that? Well, there would have to be. It's one of the greatest exercises of your spirit that there is. If you're not going to exercise your spirit by speaking in tongues, how are you going to exercise your spirit? You 
You certainly don't do that by praying with your understanding. Mental praying is not spirit praying. It can in certain cases be, but most of the time it's not. The reason for that is because Romans 8.26 says, For we know not what to pray for as we ought to know. It doesn't say you don't know what to pray for, but it says you don't know what to pray for as you ought. In other words, your understanding is limited. Well, if your understanding is limited, how can you fully express yourself from your spirit? If your understanding is the, is the gateway or the filter whereby your prayers must go and your understanding is limited, then how are you going to pray in the spirit in the way that you should? You can't. That's why Paul said, what is it? Then I'll pray with the spirit and I'll pray with the understanding also. In other words, he's saying, I'll take my understanding to the limit. Or I'll take my, my mind, my prayers, my mental prayers to the limit of my understanding. But after that, I'll let the Holy Spirit make up the difference. I'll let the Holy Spirit give me utterance to take me further. How be it in the spirit? So praying in other tongues, speaking in other tongues is speaking in the spirit. Speaking in the spirit. Now, folks, not all tongues is prayer. We were, um, uh, this was a number of years ago. I don't, I don't even remember how many years ago it was. But there was a Wednesday night service, and I was teaching something along the lines of the Holy Spirit or tongues or whatever. It was just a real small crowd, and, and, uh, and I knew just about everybody there. And I had talked about some things, you know, if unbelievers are there or people that are unlearned or in services and so forth. Anyway, the last few minutes of the service, we just, I was impressed by the Lord to, to tell everybody, let's just all stand together and, and uh, spend a few minutes speaking in other tongues. Now, I knew that not everybody in the, in the crowd was spirit-filled, but I had already explained and gone through the, the Bible explanation about what it is and, and so forth. So it wasn't anything that would cause anybody any confusion. And so we just spent a few minutes praying or speaking in other tongues. Well, I'm standing up here on the platform, speaking away. And then after the service, I found out, I, I didn't even find out that night, but a couple of days later, I found out that there was a young girl in the service saved but she was dating a Muslim guy, and he was teaching her Arabic. They had designs on getting, getting married, I guess. And so he was teaching her a little bit about the Arabic language. And she told somebody else that she was with that while I was speaking in tongues, I was speaking in Arabic. Now, folks, is there anybody that would have any doubt whether or not I can speak Arabic? <laughs> or I'm not good on English. And what I said... She said in Arabic was that I warned her away from this guy. Now, I wish she had listened. She didn't. But now you can't say that I was praying in other tongues. I was speaking directly to her. Did I know I was speaking to her? Had no clue. Did I know what I was saying? No. And it wasn't necessary for that to be interpreted. Because it was something that she got and only she got. I don't guess there was anybody else in the service that heard Arabic. That'd be confusing, wouldn't it? Two women in the church, no Arabic. The message is for one. What's the other one going to do? Divorce her husband? (laughs) But see, God knows what's going on. I would have had no way to know. I didn't know who the girl was. Didn't know the girl was dating a Muslim guy. Didn't know he was teaching her Arabic. How's anybody going to know? The Holy Spirit will help you. Now, let me ask you a question, folks. That, uh, that doesn't meet the definition that we normally place on power. We think of power as laying hands on the sick and sick being healed. 
Somebody crippled being, being healed and walking away from a wheelchair or something like that. That's the way we think of power. But can't you see the supernatural and powerful aspect of that? How's anybody going to know? The Holy Spirit knows, though. He'll reveal things to us. Now, after the fact, it was revealed to me. But during the situation, during the, while it was occurring, it was revealed to her. So he that speaks in an unknown tongue speaketh not unto, God, not unto men, but unto God. There's value in that. And he speaks in the Spirit. I guess the bottom line is this. We are so ruled and dominated by our physical senses. We think if we don't see immediately results, we think if we spend some time speaking in other tongues and we don't see an immediate result, we think it didn't do any good. We think we're wasting our time, perhaps. We think we could have been spending that time doing other profitable things, taking care of business or whatever the case might be. We think that it's not going to produce anything or at least it's not producing things like the stories that we've heard. So maybe there's something wrong with us. Maybe it's not doesn't work the same way with us that it works with other people. And folks, the reality is there's power in demonstration and power released every time you speak or pray in other tongues. You may or may not know, know or find out what it is, but it's always in operation. Notice the last thing in verse 2. The third thing that he says about verse 2 that has value, he says in the spirit, in other words, speaking in other tongues, he speaks mysteries. Weymouth's translation says divine secrets. Is there any value in speaking mysteries or divine secrets with God? You bet your life. I am convinced without a shadow of a doubt that, the, that many of the tragedies that take place among Christians, believers, is because they fail to utilize the work of the Holy Spirit to speak mysteries, divine secrets with God that could have avoided the problems to begin with. So many times people have the idea that they've experienced some tragedy or something and you hear people say sometimes, well, when I get to heaven, I'm going to ask the Lord why he let this happen. And they're going to find out that if they had spent the time speaking in tongues, speaking divine secrets with God, they could have avoided the very tragedy that's affected their life. So where's the fault? Is it with God? Or is it the failure, many times on our part, to not utilize the greater one within us? Notice verse 4. Here's another value that Paul attaches to speaking with tongues. He said, he that speaketh in an unknown tongue edifies himself. That means to recharge like a battery. That's what edify means. It means to recharge like a battery. Now, folks, you would not think of not plugging your phone in or your iPad or whatever your tablet is, your computer or laptop, whatever it is. You wouldn't think of not keeping up with the charge on your electronics. I think it's an indictment against the church that we take better care of charging our electronics, our phones and so forth, than many Christians do recharging their spirits. But that's exactly what it means. It means that you recharge by speaking in other tongues. Isaiah 26 says it this way. It says, this is the rest which causes the weary to rest. Not only is a spiritual recharging take place when you speak in other tongues, but there's a spiritual rest and refreshing that takes place. I think that's part of recharging. 
That's just my opinion. They, you may see them as totally different things, and that's okay. There's nothing to argue about. But I see them as one and the same. Because you can't recharge without a rest. Every time after Jesus finished a big campaign, he pulled his disciples aside. And they didn't even speak with tongues. But he recognized the value of pulling back after some big ministry outreach. In other words, rest and refreshing is important. Spiritual rest and refreshing is important too. Is there value? Paul seemed to think so. He said, I thank my God I speak with tongues more than all of you. Why? Because I speak, when I speak with tongues, I'm speaking to God. When I speak with tongues, I'm speaking in the Spirit. When I speak with tongues, I'm speaking divine secrets. When I speak with tongues, I'm recharging myself spiritually. Do you? Do you utilize the greater one? I'm not saying this for anybody to to feel condemnation about anything because we could all do more than what we're doing. I speak with tongues for hours a day, but I can still do more. And it's not a matter of being on the clock. I don't want to give anybody that impression that if you're not doing so much, if you're not doing as much as I am or whatever the case is, then woe is you. The question is, are you utilizing the power source that God has entrusted you with? Wouldn't it be a shame to get to heaven and God to ask us the question, why didn't you use the, the helper? Why didn't you use the comforter that I gave you? Why didn't you let him lead you and guide you into the truth of who you are and what belongs to you and, and what my plan is for your life? Why didn't you allow him to lead you into victory and deliverance and freedom instead of going through the things you went through? I have no doubt that that will be the question that many Christians, it, it, I, and I, don't get me wrong, I don't know for sure that God asked that question. But I do know this. I know when the Bible says that we stand before Jesus, we'll see with our eyes open. So whether the question is asked or not, we'll realize whether or not we did. Scripture that always puzzled me, used to puzzle me, is the Bible says that in heaven God will wipe away every tear. And it occurred to me one day that in order for God to wipe away every tear, that means people are going to be crying in heaven. Why in the world would people be crying in heaven? I'm planning to jump up and down and have a party. What are people going to be crying for in heaven? And it struck me. Lost opportunities here on the earth. Wasted opportunities here on the earth. Living a life below what we could have lived. Because not only Jesus. Was the Lord of our lives. But we've been given the power of God in the Holy Spirit. I keep looking for a different way to say this, thinking if I could just hit the magic words, then people's eyes will be open. It'll be like, oh, now we see it. Thank you, Pastor Mike. Now we'll speak in tongues every day. But if God can't speak the magic words, why should I expect me to be able to? Here's what I want to challenge you with. Who's driving your life? I know Jesus is your Lord. I know you're saved. I know the vast majority of you are filled with the Spirit. I get that. I understand. But who's steering your life? Ultimately, the answer is you. But are you steering it based on what you want to do? 
based on what your experience has taught you? Or are you steering it based on what the Word of God says you should be doing or at least could be doing? That's the real question for us, isn't it? I mean, that's the bottom line. Who are we allowing to influence the way we steer our lives? We let God do it. He'll lead us into things that are greater than anything we could hope for or imagine for ourselves. I remember without, well, it was just very clear to me one day that it occurred to me. I mean, I really saw it. My eyes were open to it. How that I saw and understood that God had a better plan for me than I had. And before that, I knew it mentally. I understood that. I'd read scriptures and I'd come away with, yeah, well, okay, God's got a greater plan for me than I do. But I didn't have it down here. I still thought I cared more about me than God did. But one day, I got just one of those little glimpses, one of those half-second glimpses. And it was like, wow. Yeah, that's better than my plan. And the Lord spoke to me. He said, Mike, if you'll just let go and let me lead you, I'll take you into what you just saw. Well, that meant I had some changing to do. That could be like the people on, the, on the, the, the TV show I was telling you about, the business people. Well, I don't like it that way. I want to keep going this way. Well, my way wasn't working. Yeah, but it's my way. How dumb is that? So that means I had to change some things. I had to give up some control. What about you? Are you willing to accept God's way for success for your life? Or are you going to hold on to your control? He that speaketh in an unknown tongue speaketh not unto men but unto God. Folks, it is more important for you to speak with God every day than it is for you to have an education or any other human experience that you could possibly imagine. There is nothing more important than you spending time speaking with God every day. I think one of the greatest benefits of speaking with tongues is that you can speak with God while you're doing other stuff. That's one of the greatest benefits of bypassing your mind or your understanding. Your mind can be focused on other things, business or otherwise. And your spirit can be expressing itself by speaking in other tongues all at the same time. I used to get so afraid of people talking about prayer because I thought that meant you got to get in your prayer closet for an hour or two hours or whatever the person was trying to impress you with saying how long they prayed. And that used to just aggravate the stew out of me because I thought, number one, I don't have the time. Or if I do have the time, I'm not willing to use that kind of time. But when I found out the benefit of tongues, praying in other tongues, I found out I could get my hours in and still take care of everything else at the same time. He that speaketh in an unknown tongue speaketh not unto men but unto God. For no man understandeth him. Howbeit in the spirit he speaks mysteries. That's how you put the greater one to work. That's how the Holy Spirit guides you into all truth. Greatest revelation I've ever received about the word of God has come through times of speaking in other tongues. Without question. Nothing else even comes close. 
Greatest revelation I've ever received. And it, it's amazing to me sometimes how people will come up and they'll say, Oh, Pastor Mike, when you said this, that just helped me so much. I never knew that. I never saw that. And I thought, well, I didn't either until I spoke in tongues. I've had people say, Oh, you must study hours and hours and hours a day. Not really. I speak in tongues hours a day. Now, don't get me wrong. I spend time studying too. But I spend a lot more time speaking in other tongues than I spend studying or reading the Word. A lot more time. Now, that wasn't always the case. It was just the opposite in times past. And so I put some things in there that the Holy Ghost has got to use now. It's the greatest revelation I've ever received. Regarding anything relative to the Word of God or the things of God have, been come, have come through times of speaking in other tongues. Hands down. Greatest things God's ever used me in ministry about have come following times of speaking in other tongues. And I used to think, I'd hear, hear people say things like that, and I'd think, oh boy, they must get in their prayer closet and groan. I mean, they must pray hard. Greatest things God's ever used me in have come from times where he just prompted me to speak in other tongues. And I did it while I was going about my daily routine. And nobody else even knew I was doing it. But all the time it's recharging that, that spiritual battery. Just like the old timey clocks that had the mainspring, you know, and you wound them up. You just feel it getting tighter and tighter and tighter all the way in there. Then the situation arose where the Holy Spirit presented you with the opportunity to use it. And spectacular things happened. Miraculous things happened. Hands down for me, it's come through speaking in other tongues. I want to challenge you. Let the Holy Ghost help you. Let the Holy Ghost guide you. Let the Holy Ghost lead you into the victory that you seek. It may change you. It may mean you have to change your routine. It may mean you have to make a place for the Holy Spirit. It may mean you have to make a place for speaking in other tongues. That may be necessary. But the result is success. Don't oppose your own success. Don't oppose your own means of victory and deliverance. Make a place. Make room for the Holy Spirit. Let's pray.